I'm gonna show you why you need to repent right now. I think in the West, we have a propensity to largely talk about sin as a list of do's and don'ts. This is a direct rejection of my maker. Everybody can always point out other people's issues pretty well, right? It's really easy for you to look into my life and see uh, the areas where I'm not doing well with the Lord. Oftentimes I have these blind spots that I can't you know, necessarily see. What are some words that the Bible uses for sin or illustrations? That is what sin is in a sense, right? It's the ability to like rise above animalistic natures mm. and desires, but it is that and also so much more, right? Oh, it made me sweat, made me sweat. It's your sins making you sweat, <laughs> not me, dude. Hey, Josh. When was the last time you used the word sin outside of like a sermon? Uh, like in casual conversation? Yeah. Only when I'm sarcastically calling you a sinner. Yeah. Yep. You do that a lot. Or seriously calling you that. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been thinking lately and the word sin, right, to denote this this idea, it's it just seems so more commonly out of whack mm -hmm. with our just not not just only like popular words that we use but just our ideas and conceptually how we live our lives yep. this is an observation i've been making mm -hmm. so i want to talk about this as we continue our series on different teachings or doctrines yeah great the doctrine of sin welcome everybody to kingdom thinking i'm hansel this is josh and today we're going to continue our theology or biblical teaching series and we're going to camp on the idea of sin the teaching of sin and how does that relate to the other doctrines and what do we do in a context where it's falling more and more i think out of the conceptual forefront or even the back burner of so many of our circles just in society and even in some of our churches as well i would say yeah for sure so as we jump in I've noticed, and this is just my, my church experience, of course, so I could be biased or limited. There's plenty of support groups that I've seen both, and I'm talking both inside the church and outside the church. So I'm making an observation about a social observation. There's lots of support groups. Mm -hmm. There's men's groups, women's groups, um, Bible studies. Mm -hmm. There's uh, like recovery groups. Yep. You'll get those in religious and non-religious context. There's tons of groups that are designed to help people mm -hmm. with problems, mm -hmm. right? Any kinds of problems. Uh, alcohol, substances, different substances, narcotics. I mean, you could probably join a shopping like support group if Shopaholics. you shop too much. Sure. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, it's Financial Peace University. Oh, there there yeah. you go. Is that a real thing? Yeah, Dave Ramsey. FPU. Oh, is that? Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like I should know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. So like finances, uh, I'm sure there's a ton that I'm not thinking of right yeah. now. You can find a group for anything. And yet, what seems to be kind of the predominant terminology, again, this is just my observation, right? Could be totally wrong about this, is uh, things like how do I manage this? How do I gain control over mm -hmm. this? How do I better myself, yep. uh, working on myself. Uh, these are mistakes. These are, I mean, in, in some ways we could say, and, and I'm not being cynical about this, like a disease, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, with some of these things, we yeah, could probably certainly, say that. Certainly, certainly. Uh, but one word that I don't hear tossed around is, this is a direct 
rejection of my maker. Yeah. Right. It's not sin. Right. Uh, Cause that, that puts the conversation on a totally different level. Yeah. It feels like it elevates to some cosmological conversation. It does. After that. It does. And so, you know, without stating the obvious, um, I wonder, are there other factors besides now, now hold on. Like we can talk about my spending habits and I can work on myself. But if you're now telling me yeah, that call it my, my eternal destiny might be at play here before a almighty self-sufficient creator of the universe, that's different. Yeah. Um, and yet the doctrine of sin or an understanding of what our standing before the eternal creator is, that affects everything else. Yeah. Our concept of humanity, our concept of God, our concept, like what is salvation? What is, what is human flourishing? Mm-hmm. These are all linked together so i want to i want to intentionally spend some time on on some of these um one theology theologian and resource that i really appreciate is is millard erickson and i want to walk you through some of the foundations of laying the groundwork for how how to understand the biblical idea of sin and then i want you to take me through some of the words uh, in different verses Mm -hmm. that the bible uses for for this idea of sin so the first thing Millard Erickson said, Millard Erickson says, is that for Christians the doctrine of sin is linked to all these other ideas. So, for example, sin is defined as any human act that opposes, defies, or rejects God. So, this means that the reference point for sin starts with the idea of God. It presupposes mm-hmm. it, right? So, in a world where, uh, in religion or uh, a creator is superfluous, it's not part of my worldview, then something like sin is, it's laughable. It's, yeah. it's moot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not uh, eternally responsible for anything. Correct. And so the idea of sin specifically presupposes a certain kind of God. Right. So that's super important. Secondly, the Bible applies sin to all humanity universally, meaning there's not some people that are more sinful or have a, a more sinful nature than right. others who have a harsher consequence for sin than others. There's not like degrees of who's going to get more sin punishment than others kind of thing. It's kind of an all or nothing take. Right, right. Particularly with the dichotomy of in Adam, all have sinned. In Christ, all have been redeemed. It's, right. It really is an all or nothing. So sin then also presupposes um, an idea of humanity mm-hmm. meaning it, it, where this i think the cash value for this is the comparison point the moral question right of how do i know if i'm a good person or not well it's not going to be comparing myself to josh or to august or to dave that i'm going to know it's going to have to be in comparison to what humanity was designed to be by right. god and then lastly sin is directly tied to salvation mm-hmm. whatever we think the good life is or uh the human flourishing or bliss, salvation, heaven, whatever you think that is, is directly related to what you think you're being saved from. Right. What, you think, what do you think is the problem? Is right. it just an economic one? Is it just a competition one? Is it a healthcare one? Is it, or is there something transcendental for humanity? So these things all really come together, and I'm particularly interested in our conversation to see how, as Christians, we can hold on to these truths, but at the same time, um, be meaningfully impactful in our conversations with a society that 
most of my conversations aren't around have you repented of your sin right right and like right. i've done that before like I, I used to be a youth pastor we used to do evangelistic things where we would go to like shopping centers and stuff and like talk to people yeah kind of like i don't know if you've ever heard of the the kirk cameron and ray comfort yeah the way of the master oh yeah like just like getting somebody's face mm-hmm. and be like hey i'm gonna show you why you need to repent right now like that kind of, like i've done that mm-hmm. and i will probably say that is not very effective <laughs> in in sure. with reference to like gaining credibility and like people don't want to talk to you when you do that kind of stuff probably right? you not. just make them feel awkward and weird and I'm not bashing on that. Like I've passed out flyers, you know, in, in downtown Santa Ana for mm-hmm. stuff like it. And the Lord will use that. Sure. I, I'm, I'm specifically saying that to meaningly have a meaningfully have a, a relationship with somebody where you're going to have conversations that are going to last longer than a few minutes. You're probably going to need to be a little more nuanced than yeah. you need to repent of your sin right now. Right. So how do we do that? Um, so let's, let, let's jump into that. What are some words that the Bible uses for sin or illustrations? Yeah. So we have a few, right? The idea in Romans one, Paul describes it as ignorance, okay. right? So people not knowing right, yeah. the way that they're supposed to do. So you can have sins of omission, right? right? Mistakes that you make or things that you did, you know, not knowing that were not good. Uh, we have errors, right? Accidental things that we now don't necessarily do on purpose or with like the intention to harm someone or be a jerk about it or whatever. Uh, and that's from Ezekiel 34. Uh, we have uh, probably the most common one that people know, uh, the idea of missing the mark. Yeah. The Greek word is hamartia, right? It's an archery term. Right. Uh, and so you miss the bullseye. So anytime you miss the bullseye, it's a sin. Uh, and that can be on accident or on purpose, right? It kind of takes out the um, intentionality behind it or the right. intentions behind it. And then you have transgressions in Numbers 14, which may be a little bit you know, more of an insider churchy kind of word. Correct. To, to transgress, to yeah. cross a to line. To violate over. someone else's will, exactly. essentially. Exactly. So, and, and there's a ton more terms to yeah, illustrate. for sure. Uh, to illustrate essentially the idea um, that the location of humanity with reference to these things is before God. Always. Right? Um, so how do we, one, take that seriously, but also package it in a way that, that's meaningful? Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard of different uh, kind of pastor rooms or, or church meetings um, where there's a real kind of like marketing, uh, idea to try, like, how do we navigate this? Yeah. Um, and I think this is a, a bigger conversation about a perspective of what is the church there to do? Yeah. Right. Um, right. and how do you navigate, like you need people there, Yeah. but at the same time, uh, you're shepherding people, you're right? Not, you're not, uh, they're not your customers or consumers, yeah. right? Yep. So separate conversation, but I mean, these conversations are real. Like churches and pastors have to think about how do I meaningfully shepherd people so that they can have an impact in the world without um, being, um, without talking over people. And so how many times can you hear you're sinful, you're a sinner, repent of it or you will die before it loses significance? Mm-hmm. I mean, I just wonder before you grow cold to it. Yeah, like twice. Twice, yeah. third time yeah. is the yeah. time it doesn't work, right? right? So, and and yet it's the most powerful truth yeah. that the human condition, the, the human ailment in a nutshell is not a financial or economic or even physical one, right? It's a, 
a spiritual one. Yeah, certainly. Like, how do we how do we do that uh, with with losing impact? What do you think? I think one of the big things is understanding the severity of experience when one is transgressed against. Right. So okay. framing the conversation from the position of victim. Uh, so think helping people think about times when they have just when their will has just been violated. Right. Whatever that looks like and understanding and then you know kind of doing a comparison of that and the way that we violate God's will, you know, and those types of things. What I've learned, you know, well, there's 12 years of working as a pastor now, and it's like everybody can always point out other people's issues pretty well, right? It's really easy for you to look into my life and see uh, the areas where I'm not doing well with the Lord. Oftentimes I have these blind spots that I can't, you know, necessarily see. And so, but that leads to a judgmental place but Mm -hmm. when we put ourselves in the position of saying like when somebody violated us and we realize oh yeah we hated that feeling that was totally wrong right it 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 impacts us to our core for whatever reason Mm -hmm. and then we put and then from there we pivot and we put god at the center of victim there and that's kind of an interesting thing to say Mm -hmm. right there but i think what it does for us for the human condition is helps us understand uh from our position of experience how God has experienced that violation as well. I mean, and you see that all through the Hebrew Bible, right? When God describes Israel like as an adulteress who cheated on him and, and the pain that comes along with that. Like that's a very powerful metaphor and imagery to show the value of what experience and uh, kind of a testimony of sorts in that regard and how strong it can be yeah. in helping people understand. So yeah. that to me, I think is a big okay. starter. Okay. Uh, connecting to people through... Yeah, their own experience, I think, is, is significant. Uh, a little bit of kind of the logic here um, and the of, of putting together this is the question would be, why why would I owe God anything? Sure. Um, I didn't I didn't choose to be in to a be relationship created. with God. Mm-hmm. I didn't choose to be created. So how does it make sense to say that I'm indebted mm-hmm. to God? Um, so one of the interesting things that comes out to me here is from the beginning, the assumption that we are somehow living in this vacuum without reference uh, is, is already mistaken. Right. And so the Bible's perspective on humanity is that no one exists in this isolated vacuum, right? In fact, we're all linked yep. uh, to Adam specifically. And so though it may be really countercultural for us to think like, no, I have my own social security. It's mm-hmm. my credit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, all like I, get paid on how much I work, all these things that reinforce this idea of my own individuality um, on a transcendental level, that's simply not the case. Right. Independent of, uh, again, gender, color, social status, class, we are all viewed and created and identified with such a powerful linkage that mm-hmm. in Adam, the most important thing about you is what is your standing before your creator? Yeah. Uh, and and the answer to that is not good, right? So yeah. the, the consequences of that, meaning uh, the, the human condition has affected every single part of our world and our lives. And the Bible identifies that as sin. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. That, that threads not only us as individuals, but we're going to get into this a little bit, our societies yeah, our collective it affects our 
organizations. It affects how we view each other. And then that starts to have consequences for our um, governments, mm-hmm. education systems. Yeah, our churches. Our churches, yeah. everything, right? Um, one of the things that are re- was really interesting to me as I was reading up on this is the disagreements or distinctions on tracing the nature or the root of sin. And there's three kind of differences I saw here, which were really fascinating to me. On the one hand, you have the perspective of, I guess you could say, would be like an evolutionary theist. Yeah. Um, somebody who um, whose primary authority is the empirical or uh, the scientific discourse and uh, knowledge that can be had about human development. So... I guess you could say like in anthropology development perspective, viewing the origins and the development of humanity purely from a scientific perspective. You'd have, uh, this person is called uh, Frederick Tennant, and he wrote on the doctrine of sin, and he writes that what theology calls sin is merely an observation of the human development of the struggle of the conscience and the freedom to not simply have animal instincts, but then to actually be able to control them. In other words, what differentiates us from the animals is we don't only have habits and things we do by nature, but we actually can contemplate those things. So now that makes us rational or moral beings. And he says that that thing, that, that tension between being aware of those things you want to do, and yet you can think about them and to a certain degree control them or not. Theology calls that sin. Yeah. We just call that... It's rising above your limbic system. Exactly. Right. And so like, oh, that's fascinating. Um, in, in other words, this, this seems, he's saying, uh, this, this human existence uh, dilemma of wanting to do what you don't want to do, sometimes not doing what you want to do. Yep. It's like, that's not a moral thing. Sure. That's just what it means to be a rational animal. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, so I would tend to agree with this perspective, but without robbing it of its morality. Okay, so so, how would you reconcile those? So for me, right, like I'm not a literal creationist, right? Like I believe in in the theology of it, or like a theology of evolution, or what is it, theistic evolution, Yeah. right? You feel like compelled by that? Yeah, and and so the idea for me is like, as we, uh, I combine what's kind of known as like the doctrine of hiddenness, uh, with the theology of accommodation, right? And so understanding that for us, as we develop and become closer to God, who is in part out of necessity hidden from us due to God's holiness and our ability to maintain a genuine free will, right? We continue to evolve and grow closer and become more like Christ. And so I think we are on this path as a species, as a humanity, to become more sanctified, right? So I think there's a like a, a cosmos sanctification that's occurring and recognizing, you know, where we are now and having the ability and the language to understand uh, our urges, control them and not be mastered by anything, you know, but by everything, understanding that Christ is the new Adam and it's our job to live in that. And when we say yes to Christ, we are actually living as you know, in that righteousness, right? And we kind of take off those old clothes and put on the clothes of Christ, right? Like Paul kind of talks about. And and so the idea there for me is, uh, I don't, I wouldn't boil it down. This feels like an oversimplification for me, right? Like the idea that we don't lose all of the morality side of those things just because we can recognize linguistically what's happening in our brain. I don't think that 
the scientific observation and language development for our brain's processes uh, necessitate a removal of theistic categories that may apply to them, right? And so I can understand that love is a feeling, right? Or that I have certain hormones like oxytocin that release uh, when I hold my child and I love her. And it, and it is a very neurological chemical thing that's happening in my brain, but it doesn't necessitate the removal of the category or the understanding or the power of the idea of love and all that it is, right? And I think a similar analog analogous argument can be made in the idea of our conversation around sin here. It's like, yes, that is what sin is in a sense, right? It's the ability to like rise above animalistic natures mm. and desires, but it, it is that and also so much more, right? Okay. So that, that would be my argument. So you want to say that sin is both this uh, theological concept, meaning yeah. in the immaterial world, there's uh, real opposition and defiance to God, but yet you can qualify it in material words. Some of it. Okay. You can qualify pieces so it's of both. it. Yeah, it's a both and. Okay. It's not an either or to me. You okay. can, maybe we can quantify. I mean, like for me, right, as somebody who believes very much in the effects uh, of spiritual warfare, let's okay. say, right, I think that's a very real thing uh, in the world. Uh, I can qualify some of its consequences okay. there, but I can't necessi necessarily understand the totality of its gravity, right? And so it's the same thing with sin okay. here. We can identify some of it, but not nearly all of it. Okay, so there's it takes place in, 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 in the natural terms. world, yeah. and yet it's more than the natural world. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, probably a more pessimistic view would be the view that sin is uh, the expression or the illustration of human competition, economic struggle, uh, and survival that individualism that is entrenched into the human experience in society wields its way and sin is the result of the power struggle that arises in society i mean this what does that kind of sound like to you sounds good to me it the, sounds good to you yeah like it doesn't i think it is that also they're right like these power imbalances that come at the exploitation of people they're like that's a manifestation of the category of sin they're, well no i think the idea here is that sin is only this thing. Yeah, yeah, no. No, I, it's like, it feels so weird to me to try and box in that understanding. Okay. It's like, I don't think it can be only that. Right. Right. Unless you want to commit to like naturalism or something. Sure, sure. Okay. Uh, but it can be expressed in these things. Yeah, certainly. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, I think this is where it's really relevant outside of like the classroom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for church and society. How do we talk about the active and passive nature of sin or the results of sin. In, in other words, we know that the world is broken because sin has entered mm -hmm. it. Uh, and so that means that there are going to be uh, diseases. Mm -hmm. That means that there is going to be, I don't know, like drug addictions mm -hmm. that lead to things like birth defects or, yeah. or things like that. So how do we talk about human responsibility for sin in an active way or the passive effects of sin on somebody. So like, I guess an example would be when you think about, I don't know, like alcoholism, is that, is that a disease mm -hmm. or is that like, no, like that's sin, right? Is it both? Yeah. How do we, how do we, how do you think we can talk about that in a way that's like pastoral helpful and not just arbitrary? Yeah, I, I mean, I think part of it is realizing that, uh, I think in the West, 
we have a propensity to largely talk about sin as a list of do's and don'ts. Okay. Right. And I think that doesn't jive well with how I understand Paul. When I read Paul, he seems to describe sin as some type of cosmological force, right? That has power. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and like enslaved yeah, to sin. Yeah. Like there's a, there is a strength that it wields over its subjects uh, that is beyond what we can uh, get out of mm. ourselves. Okay. And so I think understanding from that perspective really negates a lot of the natural issues that we would run into if we only understood sin as a list of like, do this, don't do that, right. do this, don't do that. And so to me, I think changing the language is probably the first thing that we need to talk about. Like when we really need to express like, uh, again, how I understand Paul is like, you you have a choice to whom you are going to be a slave and that's pretty much it. You can either be a slave to sin or you can be a slave mm. to Christ. That's the extent of your free will, right? And so... Really? There, I mean, that, that's how I read Paul. Yeah, that's how I read Paul. Okay. There, and, and so it's like... And you're still an open theist? There. Yeah, well, I mean, in a lot of ways. And, and so we can talk. That's a, another conversation another day. Uh, and, and so understanding free will isn't like unlimited. But anyway, the, <laughs> the, the idea being here is that like, if that's true, right? If I'm reading Paul correctly... Uh, which of course I am, uh, then the idea here is like, of course, because the world is a still enslaved to sin because God hasn't reconciled the totality of humanity and creation to God's self yet, then of course all of these things are going to happen, right? And we have two categories for sin or evil, right? Like we have natural evil there that are, would be more of like these tornadoes or earthquakes and things kind of that we were talking about here, like consequences of the fall that just kind of happen naturally, which would... Uh, you know, kind of work their way into this discussion at some level. But the idea is like when we move into this type of language of understanding that the world is enslaved because it's not fully restored, I think it frames the conversation in a way that's a little bit easier to have. So my next question is the moral question. Okay. Who gets to determine what is sinful? Yeah, I mean, the community, right? Like, there's no way that we... So if we're going to put our cards on the table here, right? Like, Scripture is always interpreted in community, and it has been since the revelation was given by God to Paul, the Holy Spirit to Paul. Whatever you want to say about your understanding of inspiration and authority and inerrancy and all those things that apply to the Scriptures, right? All of them come to the interpretation of how human beings and their minds work. And so the idea here... uh, God encounters human beings in a, an infinite God encounters and processes through and talks to and ministers to and by these finite people. So there has to be some freedom for us to interpret what God is trying to say because it has to be done in language and in ways that make sense to us. Context changes over time, over millennia, right? Uh, small example of this, a very small example. I think it's Augustine who doesn't read the creation story account as a literal one because it takes seven days and God could do everything in one day, right? But for modern evangelicals, a lot of people believe that God literally created the universe over seven days, right? So that's a difference in interpretation mm-hmm. there. And there's room for both, right? I don't I, whatever. So then my next question is a moral question. We talked about the effects and the consequences of sin on an individual, but what about on a corporate level? What are some ways that we can talk about the consequences or the power of sin affecting whole people groups. Yeah, I mean, I think 
this is probably a best applied in the conversation of power dynamics. It's probably most easily, maybe not best, it's yeah. most easily applied in the conversation of power dynamics, right? When groups of people, American slavery is probably a good example of this disenfranchisement, right? That would be something that would be a corporate sin, especially when the church gets involved at that kind right. of level. Right, I was going to say, could this happen in churches? Yeah, 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 yeah. In what ways do you think? I mean, the defense of slavery, right? Coming back to that, uh, What's interesting to me is when you read about the history of lynching in the country, how yeah. often they were a part of and championed by church leadership, okay. you know, in those things. Um, yeah, so that's probably the most obvious one that jumps off the page to me. Okay. And so on a, on a final note here for a question about evangelism, how do you think we can talk about sin as the fundamental human ailment without being dismissed immediately by a large society that... Uh, you'd probably be laughed at for using that term. I or, think I think understanding that you will probably be always dismissed by the majority of people, and I think that's just following the examples that we see in Scripture, right? Yeah. Uh, I was just reading about Paul giving his testimony before Agrippa, right, and like all of the, mm. the high muckety-mucks at the end of the book of Acts today. And the idea there is like he's willing to trade in his freedom mm. to try and talk to people about the gospel. Right. And he immediately pretty much just gets sh- shut down, right. you know. Uh, and I think that will probably always be a part of our story as followers of Jesus and understanding that. But people who find themselves interested, I think it's important to frame it in a way that this is the reality, but it doesn't uh, have to be our ultimate reality, you know, in the mm. life to come when God restores everything. Yeah. And so I think never losing sight of the forest for the trees is probably the best That's way good. to handle that. And, and that also kind of reminds me of the value of salvation of the gospel is proportionally weighted with the horrific nature of sin Mm -hmm. and so the real uh effects and consequences of sin and their eternal um consequences in hell that's what is proportionally and and making so so beautiful to be rescued from yeah and the value of the gospel so to hold that seriously and to take it together i think is so important right so what do you guys think How do you think that we can connect the weight and the power of sin with the value of the gospel and speak to it, not only in our churches, but also in a a society that needs to hear this? Uh, Leave us a comment and we'll see you next time on Kingdom Thinking.